guys, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm Jackie. And I'm Megan. And today we're talking about marriage. So I'm going to be interviewing Megan because I am not married, but Megan is. Yeah. So I she's am. gonna go <laughs> So she's gonna go a little bit into her first year of marriage and some of the things that she learned that she didn't expect. For sure. So I've been married two years and I just kind of wanted to preface this by saying that I I know it's super annoying that every time someone gets married, they're like, I'm an expert, <laughs> like a self-proclaimed, like I've done it for three months. And so obviously I know everything. That is by no means me. I have so much more to learn and I am not an expert. And this isn't like a bunch of wise wisdom coming from a person who's been married 60 years. I'm just wanting to kind of reflect on some things that I discovered or learned in the first year specifically that either might be kind of a surprise to some people, um, hopefully will be kind of helpful, but uh, just kind of interesting things to consider if you are someone who's approaching this season of life, you're thinking about getting married, or you think that that might be something in your future someday, or you are married and you're going through similar things, or you're single and you have no prospects and you don't want to be married, but it's still interesting. So that's my little preface before going into this so megan let's dive in so what is one of the first things that stood out to you in your first year of marriage that you didn't expect to affect your relationship yeah so one thing that john and i did that i actually really highly recommend is we had our temperaments tested so my dad is currently training to be a counselor And one of the things he was doing was he would do temperament tests. So it's kind of like a personality test, but it goes deeper because it's going through kind of um, your motivations and reasonings um, behind things and your energy levels and things like that. So it was really helpful because one-on-one we kind of went through our own temperaments and how you relate um, in areas of control, in areas of affection, and in areas of socially with other people and interacting. So that was really helpful going into marriage to kind of understand how John and I respond differently to the world and process things differently. So one thing that really jumped out to me in the first year of marriage is how differently people handle stress, uh, which should be a no-brainer. We all handle stress differently, but you don't really think about it until you're living with someone and you're going through the same stressful thing at the same time. So something would happen like we would get a parking ticket and it was just interesting to see how each of us responded differently. And what's been honestly really cool is there have been things that have really, really stressed out my husband, John, where in those instances, I've been very calm and held together, and I've been kind of like, okay, let's figure this out, and I've been the reasoning one, and then there's been instances where I'm the one who completely melts down and breaks down and can't handle things, and John is there, and it's just, it really highlighted to me the beauty of why the two become one, because um, I think it's Ecclesiastes that talks about a cord of two strands is not easily broken, And how that just really was like so tangible to me when seeing how stress affects people differently. Some things don't really stress me out that really, really stress John out. And so 
instead of seeing that as a weakness, like, oh, that's something that's bad, viewing it as kind of a positive thing. Like, this is areas where we can uplift the other person and help the other person and be strong for them, and then they'll be strong for us in different circumstances. Yeah, so I know that communication is a big part of any relationship, but what did you learn about communication, especially in the context of marriage? Yeah, so communication is something that people always bring up when giving recommendations to couples. Is work on communication, have strong communication. But I felt like people don't always get into the nitty gritty specifics of what that ex- exactly means. They just say like communicate good. <laughs> How, you know, what does that look like practically? And something that I really noticed within even just the first few months was that John and I are both different kinds of processors. So, for example, when something happens to me, I am more of a verbal processor. So the way I think through a problem or something that's going on in my life is I need to talk about it. And as I'm talking about it, I'll kind of figure out how I feel about it, what I think about it. But my thoughts aren't fully formed. My opinions aren't fully formed. I almost need to be able to verbally go through something before forming what I think and feel. Whereas John's the opposite. He's more of an internal processor. So he is doing all of that inside his head. He's going through, well, maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's that. All inside his head. I don't hear any of that going on. And then by the time he goes to speak, it is a fully formed opinion that he feels that he can back up, that he believes. And so the way that played out then was I would be processing something verbally and John, assuming I'm the same kind of person he is, because we all innately do that, we assume everybody is like us, is thinking that that's my fully formed opinion. And so he would jump to be like, really, that's what you believe? And it would stress me out because I would say, no, I need to like figure this out. I need to be able to process. And it added conflict and even led to some arguments because we were both having expectations and assumptions for how the other person would process. So that was something that was a huge learning curve for me was I think it's really valuable in communication to learn how the other person processes information. And then you can give them space to process the way they're made to process. You know, God made us all differently. So if I'm a verbal processor, I need the space to be able to talk through something in a safe environment without someone jumping and assuming that that's what I believe until I've reached that belief. And if someone's an internal processor, then they need space to do that internal processing and not have someone forcing them to voice their opinion when they're not ready. So that's really something that's valuable when it comes to communication is just have an honest conversation to find out what the other person is like, how they handle those situations, and then talk about what is most helpful for you. You know, do you need to leave the room to think through something before coming back and revisiting a conversation? And then don't be stressed, because I know I've talked to other friends who are married who it might really stress out one spouse if like the other can't continue a conversation until later learning that's not a negative thing for some people for some people they need to be able to process it doesn't mean they're stewing or being angry although that might mean it for someone else so just having that honest conversation and being willing to learn about the other person and know them at a deeper level will really really benefit you in communication and I think those differences in communication like 
it's just so interesting and creative and it's so fun to learn that about the other person and so don't see it as like a chore like oh I gotta figure this out so we can have great communication no like you're learning about that other person that you so deeply love and care about that is such an awesome and fun and privileged endeavor that we have those are such good points Megan I'm already learning so much learning from Megan here so something when we were talking about this before that stuck out to me that I didn't really think about was how different family dynamics could affect a marriage or, you know, your past, which is something sometimes I think we like to avoid, but how are ways that your background or communicating about your background is helpful in marriage and affects marriage? Totally. Um, Once again, this is something that everybody knows. Everybody knows we come from different families and different families have different ways of doing things but you don't quite expect it to play such a huge role in how you interact with your spouse until you're once again like living with them (laughs) spending every day with them you know being married not just dating and it for sure plays a role in like even dating and engaged couples but it just plays an even greater role when you're married and a funny example of this is my family is very quiet so if you go over to our house for dinner or something, <laughs> everybody is very quiet. That doesn't mean they hate each other. In fact, like, it's funny. We joke, my family mumbles a lot. Like, everybody is just very quiet. And so I subconsciously learned growing up that, that when people are quiet and calm, that means that they're happy and they're okay and that things are good. And that when people get really, really loud that that meant people were angry or upset. So naturally, I get really stressed and anxious when people are very, very loud because I subconsciously assume that that means they're upset because I grew up in a dynamic that was very quiet and calm and kind of more serene and subdued. John, on the other hand, his family is very dynamic and very loud and everybody enunciates very properly and speaks very loudly and and also speaks over each other. That was something my family doesn't do. It's like, one person talks, then it's the other person's turn. And so the first time I went over to dinner at his house and interacted with his family, I was stressed the entire time because I was like, why is everybody so upset with each other? Everybody's yelling and talking over the other person. Like, this is so tense. And and I was really upset and anxious. Whereas John, on the other hand, visits my family and is like, wow, why is everyone like so upset or tense or awkward? Because he associates people being quiet as people being upset. So that's just like a funny example, but you can totally see how that would relate in even just how John and I interact with each other. Because when I am just having a quiet day where I'm just like reading a book or walking around (laughs) quietly, he would get anxious and start asking me, what's wrong, what's wrong? Whereas John, when he would get excited about something, would start talking really fast and loud and dynamically, and that would cause stress on me. And so being aware of those things and not just assuming that you're like the other person or that those things are inherently negative. And it's definitely like we have to unlearn things because I learned that people being loud equals all the time in every situation that they were upset and that's not true and I know that but it's a subconscious response and reaction and so those different expectations or even unspoken rules you know like is it an unspoken rule this isn't a personal example but like that the mom always does the dishes after dinner 
you know, like those things you don't even think about because that's just all you've ever known. But you have to kind of like suddenly readdress everything (laughs) when you're married and make your own decisions. Um, And then with that, just, you know, we all have our own woundings from our backgrounds and from our family. Even if you grew up in a really healthy two-parent home that was in a Christian environment, there's still wounding that takes place because we're all sinners. And, you know, it's really hard to recognize areas in which you are broken and how that affects your relationships with other people. But it's so, so important and valuable because that can really harm a relationship. And so areas where John and I had to kind of recognize our brokenness was a lot it really manifested in insecurities we had. So for example, I really struggle with this insecurity that I truly believe that at some point everybody will decide that I'm not good enough and they'll leave me. And this is from a childhood brokenness, but that came into play because anytime I would mess up, I would have a meltdown and breakdown and just tell John that like he was gonna leave me Or that like, oh, now you're going to see, like, today's the day you finally figure it out that I'm not good enough. And that can be really wearing and draining emotionally on the other person. So recognizing, like, that's an insecurity of mine and I need to work on that. And it's something you do together. And that's the beauty of being married is I don't have to do that on my own. I have someone who's living with me, who loves me, who can say, hey, I think that's your insecurity because that's not true. That's a belief you have, but it's not a truth. That's not a fact. And so that is really important to view because it can really, after a while, it's just kind of like, you know, pressing the same spot. Like if you just pushed constantly on the same spot on your arm, it's not like it really hurts, but you do that for hours and hours and hours and you'll eventually create a bruise. And that's what's happening when you're living with someone is, or you're married with them, you kind of, accidentally just start pushing in the same spots and creating bruises and so you have to recognize this is an area where I'm wounded I need to go to counseling I need to pray about this I need to talk about this so that eventually that bruise doesn't get so painful that I lash out yeah good stuff so confrontation That is probably one of the most important topics in any relationship, but especially marriage, learning how to deal with confrontation. So Megan, can you speak a little bit on that for us? Yeah. So (laughs) once again, everybody's different. So some people really love confrontation and they really just like live for those moments where, you know, you get into a really difficult conversation and you wrestle through something and there's a challenge and that's much more (laughs) my husband than me. I'm the type of person that avoids confrontation at all costs. I hate it, even though I've grown so much as a person, so now I am willing to engage in confrontation when I know it's necessary. I mean, the whole time I'm shaking and sweating and near tears, and it's not a pretty sight. Whereas my husband is very much more skilled in that area and willing to engage in those conversations, and it actually gives him more anxiety and stress avoiding those circumstances where for me I would just avoid everything at all times that would be awesome so confrontation was definitely something going into marriage I knew that I would have to be very consciously working on and it would probably come more naturally to my husband 
um, which is okay. We should all recognize our own weaknesses. So one thing that I really kind of saw in that first year is marriage is just so much different than a friendship or other relationships we might have with family members or friends because you are becoming one with that person. You know, as Christians, we believe in the Bible that it says the two will become one flesh and that that's not just referring to sexual intercourse. That's referring to how you live your life in the sacrament of marriage. So the two becoming one is just so much more intimate and connected. So naturally, confrontation looks completely different than it does in a friendship or any other relationship. Um, And for me, that really manifested in some stress because it felt like there's like more at stake (laughs) if that makes sense um and so in that i think i really had to learn and work through when you are supposed to confront and when you are supposed to release which for me it's much easier to release things because but i'm not actually truly releasing it it's a way of avoidance and with a friendship that's easy because you can avoid things a lot easier or ghost a person or stop seeing someone and I'm not saying that in a good way that's bad obviously but when you're married you don't have that option and John and I knew going into this like divorce was not an option for us so I was confronted with like I have to be able to approach these things and go through and deal with these hard situations but in that like you're because you're human you're going to hurt the other person I mean near constantly like we as broken individuals, we're, we go around hurting people all the time. You know, you accidentally say something. You, you know, do something not quite right. You're having a grumpy day. Like, this is just how we function as humans. And so learning, okay, when is it a hurt that I need to bring to the other person and actually have a conversation and work through? And when is this something I have to be like, you know what? They're having a bad day. It's okay. And move on. And that was really important to me because... You know, if we address every little nitpicky thing, it can become, our motivation can turn into being just critical of the other person. And how do I change this person and try, almost trying to make someone perfect, you know? So anytime John slips up and says something, and I know what he means, but maybe he didn't say it in the most perfect way. If I went and criticized every little thing he did, eventually my motivation in that is not going to be pure. My motivation is not going to be like, well, I just, I want to confront and lovingly talk through things. No, my motivation is going to be, nope, I'm going to point out every little thing you're doing. And I think that really damages a lot of relationships and marriages because in the end, we have to recognize we're not perfect. We're all on this journey of sanctification and becoming more like Christ. And so give grace to the other person. But then in that there are things that do need to be addressed and can't just be let go and there are definitely things that if avoided would create a bigger problem so I think in the end I know I wish I could just like give a list like these are the things you confront and these are the things you don't but in the end it just turned into like I need to be so prayerful about this and pray before bringing anything up you know is this something that would be fruitful towards the other person that this is loving to our relationship or is this just I'm being critical and this is actually more of a sin area in my own life that I need to bring this to God and allow this to be something that God works in in my heart and not something that has to be this big confrontation and argument.
So mental health. So that's something that we already talk a lot about on this podcast, something that's a big part of Megan and I's stories. Um, so how did how does your, your own mental health and talking about mental health, how does that affect marriage and why is that so important to do in marriage? For sure. I mean, we you know mentioned this in other episodes of the podcast and we'll probably continue talking about this, but mental health truly impacts every area of us as people. And so if you are mentally unwell or mentally struggling, that's going to impact every area of your life. And it's definitely going to impact you relationally. So it is something that we need to be aware of. And going into marriage, John and I both knew that we had those struggles. Uh, What was interesting is we both struggle in different ways. So you would think like, oh, well, both of us struggle with mental health, right? So we're going to be like super empathetic towards the other person and really understanding and know exactly what they're going through. Um, But that's totally not true because everybody's mental health struggle is totally and completely different. And so for, you know, I talked about this previously, but I really struggle with anxiety. John, on the other hand, really struggles more with depression. And those two things look so differently. And it was really hard for me to understand and empathize with someone who struggles with depression when I had like the total opposite response to outside stressors and triggers you know, mine was like, I need to do things. I need to go, go, go. Whereas John would struggle to get out of bed in the morning. And it's really easy to get frustrated with the other person. And so instead, it really took taking a step back and having honest conversations and checking in with the other person and making sure they're okay and encouraging them to seek counseling, to get medication, to do those things. Um, And with that, also recognizing that even though you're married and it's so good to have open and vulnerable conversations with the other person you are their spouse you're not their savior and you're not their therapist and so you can't try and assume that role and that's something we both had to learn because my husband cannot be my therapist and he shouldn't be that's not a burden I should put on him but he can totally be there for me and listen to me when I'm struggling um, hold me when I'm anxious and then encourage me to seek outside help So that's really important. And then just, you know, how that affects our marriage is, I think it's something that you just have to keep a constant eye on and keep continually checking in with the other person and don't sweep things under the rug. If you notice that the other person is struggling, don't just assume it's going to get better on its own. And I think when we leave those things unattended and not talked about, that's when they grow and become larger issues so if I see that John has gone like three days where he's really struggling with motivation he's really struggling to get out of bed in the morning he seems really down that's something I need to be like hey how are you doing like let's talk about this whereas if I ignored that or decided like well it'll just get better if I don't say anything it's only gonna get worse and mental health really creates this illusion in you that you are alone And so we have to fight that illusion by bringing it into the light and bringing it into conversations. Um, And that kind of naturally leads into what I wanted to bring up next, which was how to love the other person. So we all have different love languages, I guess is the term that our culture uses now, Um, but just ways of expressing and receiving love. And we're all different in that. And so, for example, mine is more quality time. So I 
express and receive love in the form of quality time with that other person. John expresses and receives love through words. So letters, affirming messages, even just me saying things that are really affirming to him. And it's great when I spend time with him. He loves that, but he feels truly loved and known and seen when I write him a long love letter. Whereas if John (laughs) wrote me tons of love letters, I would love it, obviously. I would see that as really sweet. But what really makes me feel known and seen and cared for and wanted is when he goes out of the way to spend quality specific time with me and so that would be something too that we saw in our first year was I really wanted to go on like really special dates whereas John did never even thought of that like it's not that he wouldn't enjoy that but it's not something that he would think of and John would write me like all these letters and I loved it but that's not a way to really show me love And here I'm trying to spend all this time with John and he just really wants me to write him a letter. And so it's, it's little things like that. But after a, after a time, you know, you can really get discouraged and feel like the other person doesn't really care or know you. And so that would just be another thing is don't be afraid to tell the other person when you don't feel like they're really leaning into your specific love language. And then also be open when that other person brings it up to you, you know, be humble. We all have areas to grow and learn. And so if you truly want to love that person in the way they best receive it, be open to them saying, hey, could you write me more letters? And then doing that and actually following through with that. Yeah, love languages have become kind of a joke in some Christian communities because people talk about them so much. Like, oh, what's your love language? It's like a joke that girls are always asking that. (laughs) But it's so important. Uh, So I realize that often the ways that we don't naturally receive love, we don't naturally give love in that way. So if we don't naturally receive it, but the other person that is the way that we receive love, we're not going to think to give it. We're not even going to realize that we're not showing them and they might think, oh, they don't care about me. I've seen that in friendships. And no, I didn't realize until they openly told me. So it's so important to communicate about your love language for sure. Okay, Megan. So probably one of the juiciest topics about (laughs) marriage one of the most important topics and it's something that people don't like to talk about and you probably already know but sex (laughs) sex is such an important part of marriage um and yeah Megan what did you what have you learned about sex in your first year of marriage (laughs) yeah so people always treat this as like super taboo like oh don't talk about your sex life you know that's private and intimate and for sure you know I think it would be inappropriate for me to like go into a detailed discussion um (laughs) about sex life because it is something that is meant just for you as a couple but I also think it's really important to talk about and to bring light in an area that a lot of people can have shame in if they struggle in that area of their marriage um so some of the things I noticed my first year as we were kind of like first learning sex and what that looked like as a couple what that experience was was once again super cliche but communication is so important and what i mean by that is be open to talking about the experience so don't be awkward about it like the first couple times it's going to feel weird to like talk about the sex you just had but do it like it's it's and see it as fun don't see it as this chore like okay well let's break this down (laughs) like you know just make it natural and fun but be open and willing to tell the other person like you know honestly that didn't really work for me or, hey, I really, really like this. 
or hey what if we tried this so just being open to those conversations and it gets easier as you know you go on you know and so if you're open and willing to talk about those things right from the start at the beginning I guarantee it makes it better as you continue and go on because if you are viewing sex as how do I best love and serve this other person it will be so much better than if you're focused on yourself and so view this as like a great opportunity to better give that other person a great experience and have fun don't take it so seriously you know I think there's a lot of pressure or anxiety we put on ourselves or expectations to like perform well or be good performers for the other person and I think that's really sad because that's really our sinful culture and society coming into play of this over sexualization of our culture that we view this as some sort of performance or you know like <laughs> like a strip tease for the other person and you know it's this very much like hookup culture one night stand like oh I gotta be like really really good for you no you're married this is a way of growing closer to each other ex- like experiencing intimacy showing love you know if you're in this the stage of your relationship this could this is what brings forth children this was what creates life this is a representation of you know the two becoming one and it's so tangible and physical and it's incredible and it's you know the fulfillment of this sacrament like it's so awesome and amazing so don't be so focused on like well how do i be like super sexy for the other person no that's the it's so that's such a diminishing view of what sex is so see it as fun you know if things don't work out or you mess up like you're gonna do it like just laugh about it don't be so pressured and that was something I really had to work on is you know I really struggled with you know body image you know struggling to feel desired or wanted or just having this distorted view that you know I you know just by existing my husband should be constantly turned on by me because that's very much the message that our culture gives when this over sexualization of women that like women's bodies are inherently sexual and that at all times I should be arousing him no that's really gross and I wouldn't even want that truly but that's such as this distorted view that I had and so I really struggled with times when you know I would like force it or try and like act sexy or be sexy and that actually made John, my husband, feel uncomfortable. And then I felt like so rejected and not desired and not wanted and upset and sad. And that was something we had to talk about and work through of like, that's not even what this is about. And that is, as Christians, not even what sex means or how, why God created sex or why he gave us sex. That's our brokenness from our culture coming into play. Um, and then just dealing with each other's sexual pasts or past struggles with porn that's also really important and that plays into the whole idea of communication is you need to be able to address these things as a couple and talk about what could be affecting you when you go into this um you know if some if maybe one of the other person wasn't a virgin or something or they really really struggled with a porn addiction that's really important to talk about and even talk about you know individually with a counselor because that will address you know how you view the other person or how you view the experience or how that would speak into that and so be open about those things you know you this is the place to do it you know this in the 
privacy of your home and intimately as a couple like that's the place where those conversations are supposed to be happening so be willing to have them and don't be scared and don't shy away from them yeah good stuff Megan and there are certain topics with sex that you just brought up that we'll go into more detail about later I mean there's just so much you could talk about and so many things we could shed light on so stay tuned for that coming up Uh, Megan, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was the role of prayer. So obviously, both as Christians, we see marriage as a sacrament, as a covenant, more than just a piece of paper. So obviously, marriage is uh, prayer is going to be a huge part of your marriage. Prayer is so important because as Christians, we are supposed to have Christ at the center of our marriage. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about how marriage is a picture of the relationship that Christ has with his church. So prayer is super, super important. And it's also important because as a couple, you're not always going to be on the same page. You're not always going to be in agreement about really important and big things. You know, it could be, should we buy a house? Should we, you know, pursue this job? Should we move here? Should we do this or that? And, you know, I would love to say that oh yeah, we just always are totally in tune and in sync with each other and on the same page and in agreement. And that's just not the case. And so what do you do in those situations? You know, everybody kind of has their own doctrine or belief on, you know, roles within marriage or gender roles. Um, But personally, John and I didn't really feel that specifically there was one person who was the leader who is up to, you know, it's up to them to make all the decisions and the other person just has to follow them. There's not really a leader and follower mentality. And so obviously there's, you know, elements of leadership and submission. Um, and maybe we could go into that in an, a later episode in more detail. But in that, we really made decisions together as a team when approaching life because it affected both of us. So prayer was super, super important. And an example of this is within our first year of marriage, our plan was to actually move to Dallas, Texas and pursue seminary there. Um, And within a few months, I started feeling a lot of disquiet in my soul and felt like it wasn't a good idea. I felt very uncomfortable about it. I was very just unsettled. It felt that that wasn't where God wanted us. And John didn't feel that way. And so it took a few conversations of me bringing it up and being like, you know, I just, I think we should readdress this and re-evaluate this. And John was like, really? And it was a shock to him or a surprise because he was like, well, this was just our plan. This is where we felt called. So why would we need to reevaluate it? But we were both humble enough to say, let's not make this decision on our own. Let's approach this in prayer. And so it took a few times of as a couple coming together and praying. And then eventually one day John was like, you know what? I have the same feeling that you do. I have this same unsettlement about this plan and I think we should start praying about what God's will is and where he wants us and so you know it's just that was I don't know what we would have decided or where we would have been if prayer was not our focus and our focus was not on God's will I think that's where a lot of couples run into a lot of conflict is it's just all about what you want or where you want what direction you want to go and but when we both came together and said no ultimately we want to go where God wants us that's why prayer had such a role and an impact and why it was so important. Yeah, so just some final thoughts that I have on reflecting on the first year of marriage is everyone will scare you when you're approaching this season and tell you that, oh, the first year is awful and it's terrible and it's going to be so bad. Um, That's not always true. I don't want to speak for every couple because every experience is different and every relationship is different. 
but the first year of marriage is really really fun and it's really awesome because you're learning how you act as a married couple and you're experiencing so many awesome cool firsts you know first you know going into this season of having sex together (laughs) having you know breakfast together having a home together having a life together and you are going through so many exciting new changes and transitions and so the first year of marriage is really awesome and yeah it's not easy there's a lot of things to work on it's not always going to be a fairy tale and a fantasy um, but it's also not the worst thing in the world and I think sometimes especially people who are getting married young get really really scared of the first year it's like oh the first year of marriage And so I just wanted to put some encouragement out there that marriage is really, really awesome. It's so cool that God has given this to us. And it's so, so worth all the work you put into this. So if you're engaged right now or you're dating or you're approaching this season, be willing to put that work in because it's so awesome and so fun. And there's so many really cool things you learn about the other person that you couldn't learn about them in any other context. Um, So just be best friends with each other. You know, it's so much more fun to spend time with your husband when he's also your best friend and you can be goofy and you can go on little adventures to the grocery store and do just really awesome things that normally would be mundane, but you're spending them with your favorite person in the whole world. And approaching it like that, it makes it more lighthearted and less heavy and terrible. (laughs) Um, And then just lastly, I think what I really learned in that first year is it's so important to find a support system So whether it's a group of friends or it's your family or it's your pastor or church family, find that group of people that support you, that give you advice when you need it, call you out when you need it, but just cheer you on as a couple and, you know, lift you up and help you out. That's really important. And then just kind of knowing that balance of, you know, when do we take things to this support system for advice and counsel and when is it just something we handle the two of us by ourselves that we don't share with everybody. So those are my thoughts and reflections on the first year. Um, like I said, I'm not like an expert, but I think it's really important to have these conversations, even if we're not experts or we know everything, because we're all learning and we all see things differently and experience things differently. So it's important and good to share what you are learning and experiencing with each other. Megan, thank you so much. Uh, someone who is single, who has never been married, I feel like I learned so much and I feel like you shed light on a lot of things about marriage that I obviously wouldn't know about or expect myself. I think as a single, especially a single Christian woman, we idealize marriage and think that when I finally get married, like I'm going to be happy and all my problems will be fixed or like I just need to get married and then I'll feel fully fulfilled. But You're showing that, yes, marriage is such a beautiful gift, just a beautiful sacrament, but there are difficulties and there are things that you need to work through. And it's not just like this paradise. You know, it's still life. (laughs) Life is hard and has its difficulties, um, but it is beautiful. So thank you so much, Megan, for being so vulnerable with us. I think this is going to be very helpful helpful for a lot of the people listening. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, I think this is such, it's also a fun thing to talk about. Um, So with that, let's talk about.